get our Bibles, if you will. And let's get into this morning's teaching. Amen, amen, amen. Let's begin here at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. And while you're getting that, let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you and we praise you for this opportunity to get into your word on this morning. We pray, Lord, let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you give us ears that we may hear what the Spirit of the Lord has for us on this morning. Give us eyes that we may see it with spiritual perception. And God, we pray that for articulation of your heart on this morning, we thank you for the gifts of the Spirit to be in manifestation in Jesus' name. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on an everyday basis. Amen, amen, and amen. You know, one of the reasons why we, we say these confessions is because of the fact it sets our heart to receive from God. We don't just say anything here just to be saying it, but when we come to church, we make a demand on the Holy Spirit because this is our church to speak to us in our current situation and our circumstance. I said on Thursday night, and I'll make reference to it right now, that regardless of whatever's going on in your life, that when it's your church, we can make a demand on the Spirit that He will minister to us and our individual needs. It's a marvelous thing that we have as a part of a local body. I remember being in my mentor shirt many times, and I don't care what he's preaching on. When I show up, he's going to have to take a side journey where I'm at because I, I draw on that anointing that's on him that's for me. And so that's one of the reasons why we make these confessions concerning that I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from your holy word. It separates you. Yes, I've received from the ministry gift regardless of who's ministry, but Lord, I've come to receive from you. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Let's look at that. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. It says, verse number six, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall, he shall direct thy path. He says, verse five, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. The Amplified, of course, says, and do not rely on your own insight and understanding. Do not rely on your own insight and understanding. You may be seated. Trust in the Lord. With all thine heart. Now, during this series, we've been talking about how we hear from God. And when God speaks to us on the inside of our renewed spirit, he leads us to certain things for his purpose and his will. Well, when he leads us according to his purpose and his will, when we are learning whether or not this is God's voice, there are certain things that we should do to make sure that we are properly hearing the voice of God. Because, you know, a lot of people get strange, they get weird, and they say, well, the Lord said this to me, or I feel like God is leading me this direction, but it doesn't align with his nature, it does not align with who he says he is. 
And so when I believe that God is leading me in a certain direction, when I believe God is leading me as he should, let's stop there and talk about that. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and the stranger they will not follow. So it is the sheep of God that hear his voice. I'm supposed to hear God's voice. I'm supposed to be directed by the spirit of God. I am one of his children and God is not a distant father that does not talk to his kids. God speaks to you. He speaks to you whether you're a preacher or whether you're not a preacher. He speaks to you whether or not you are somebody that's in the front of the church or somebody in the back of the church. God speaks to his children. Do we have that established? When we believe that God is leading us, though, in a certain direction, in a certain way, there are certain things that I have learned over the years that you should do to check as to whether or not this leading, this prompting that you have is, in fact, from God or something else. And so this these are the list of things that I do. Now, I don't go out when I believe God is leading me in a certain direction and say, number one, number two, number three, number four. But for the purposes of teaching, this is how I'm teaching this because this is, these are the things that I do. When I feel like when, when we got ready to start a church, these are some of the things that I did concerning whether or not I believe God was calling us in this direction. The first thing, of course, we've said is that we got to check our motives. At this point, of course, you should know this, right? Amen. I'm a teacher now. Number two is check your, this interactive church, check your root of love. Amen. Number three, we check does this leading require faith? Amen. And then number four, we said check to see whether or not this leading will bring life to a situation or a circumstance. Amen. We're going to give out grades at the end of this message. <laughs> All right. Number five is where we are at uh, for the last couple of weeks is assessing the risk reward. Assessing the risk reward. Now, a part of assessing the risk reward has everything to do with you assessing where you are in regards to your faith. Where am I in regards to my belief system and my confidence where God is concerned? What do I really believe about God and what do I really believe about his word? Now, life is going to show up and it's going to confront you with this reality as to whether or not you really believe the word or not. When God is calling you to a certain way, a certain direction is always going to ask you a question intrinsically within the call. Do you really believe him well enough to make that step? Now, we've said also in the past that God is never going to ask you to do anything that's beyond your faith level. So when God is leading me, i.e., let me give you a case in point. God's never going to tell me now, son, I want you to go in and then give uh, two million dollars to this church, etc. Well, he's not going to ask me to do that at this point in time because that's not in my current bank account. Now, but he will say to me, son, I want you to give $20 to this particular church. Well, that's in my bank account. That's in my purview. And it's within the area of faith that I can release that. God is never going to prompt you to do something that's beyond your current faith level. The question is always whether or not you believe. When I believe God is leading me in a certain direction, I got to always access where I am in regards to my faith, i.e., where am I in regards to my heart and my area of trust of my Heavenly Father. 
And so for this purpose, this is the reason why we started with trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. My heart condition, therefore, determines my faith level. My heart condition determines my hearing condition or my ability to actually trust God. If I'm having an issue in regards to my heart, then I'm going to have an issue in regards to my trust and my vertical relationship with God. If I'm having an issue in regards to my heart, I'm going to have an issue as to whether or not I will fully confidently be able to make a stand. My heart or my hearing God within my heart, therefore, has everything to do with the purity of my heart. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this area of a con uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of when my heart feels uh, condemned or this area of of uh, oh, Lord have mercy. This area of backsliding and we talked about this area of corruption, this area of corruption. But this morning we want to kind of look at this area of character and your heart condition. Uh, from this perspective, let's look over, if you will, to first John chapter three and verse 19. First John chapter three and verse number 19. When I'm assessing as to whether or not God is leading me in a certain direction, it has everything to do with the condition of my heart. The condition of my heart, therefore, is attached to the condition of my conviction in regards to God. And so corruption has a tendency to get in at the very beginning to begin to move you out of the will of God so that your heart is no longer in a position of purity. And this morning we want to look at this area. Watch this. Verse number 19. Scripture says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. He says, Verse number 20, for if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and know of all things. Verse 21, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence towards God. And verse 22, and whosoever, or I'm sorry, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Let's break this down. John is talking in regards to this area of when we've been born again. He separates those that have been born again versus those that are just simply church folks by saying those that are born again do not practice this area of sin. And then those that don't practice this area of sin, we've been born again. We receive the Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior. When we feel like we are condemned because of the things that we've done in the past, then God is greater than our hearts. And he knows of all things. He knows that you've been born again. And he says, verse 21, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence with God. Now, verse number chapter number two talks about if we have sinned, we have a God that's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Specifically, John is talking in terms of this area of when a Christian sins. When a Christian sins, what begins to happen is it allows a cancerous thing to get on the inside of you in regards to your relationship with God. When you get into an area of sin or rebellion or disobedience towards the things of God, it separates you from your area of confidence in regards to your relationship with God. Verse 21 says, and if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence towards God. 
Why is this important? Because when you come to God, you must first come in faith, believing that he is. When a Christian gets into an area of sin, what it does is it separates you from this area of confidence. I've seen it so many times in church where a Christian that was powerful in the things of God, powerful in the spirit, when they get into an area of sin, all of a sudden now they don't pray like they used to pray because now you're feeling condemned before God. Now I got this new thing that I got to overcome because even though I may have received the forgiveness of God, the devil shows up in our lives to condemn you with this area of, you know what you did. You know what you did last night. You know what you did yesterday. And therefore, you now have this new struggle of believing that God heard you when you pray. You have this new struggle of believing that God will move because he's interested in his purposes and his goals. I have this new thing that has entered into my heart that I've got to fight against because I've allowed this area of sin into my life. This is one of the things the devil does is that he pulls you out into this, even this small area of sin. And then when you get into this area of sin and then you come back to God, he still holds that over you to, to say, see, you know what you did. You know who you are. God hadn't forgotten that. God really remembers that. And now you have to choose to believe what God said that as far as the east is from the west, so has, how far has he removed your sins. It's a new fight when you get into this area of sin. And so we said in the past, and I'll say again this morning, sin makes cowards of Christians. I used to be powerful in the things of God, but now when I get into this area of sin, now I back off from this area of conviction. Verse 22 says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. My keeping the commandments of God has everything to do with my heart staying pure before God so that I believe that when I pray, I believe that I receive when I pray and speak to my heavenly father. It allows for me to have a pure heart to hear from him when I'm not in an area of sin. He says, because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing to him. Sin makes cowards of Christians. Sin disconnects you from your confidence in regards to your relationship with God. And then sin separates you from the potency, if you will, of your faith. Now you say, well, dear, dear Reverend, that's just a little small thing that I'm doing. You don't understand that this little small thing that you keep succumbing to is opening you to be disconnected from receiving from God. Not because God doesn't have a willingness to move in your life. It's because you don't believe because you now let this new thing enter in that disconnects you from your faith. Let's look over. Let's look back, if you will. The first John chapter two and verse number 16. First John chapter two and verse number 16. We're going to look at this out of the amplified version of the Bible. We said this in the past and I want to reiterate this morning. Character is the only thing that gives weight to your words. Character is the only thing that gives weight. It gives the weight, the gravitas to the words that you speak. A lot of people like to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but your character does not match your profession. And because your character doesn't match your profession, God says, there's only so much I can do with your life right now because you don't reflect me. You reflect more of you and less of me. 
The reason why we sung just a few minutes ago saturate us and that kept running in my spirit that I had to find that and put that in the queue this morning because that's what we want for our lives to be saturated with God's glory so that when people see us, they see him. And until we submit our full lives to God and not just the part we want to give him, then God says, I can't use you yet. Now watch this. Three things that test our character. Three things that test our character. Verse number 16 out of the Amplified says this. For all that is in the world, the lust and the sensual craving of the flesh, the lust and the longing of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, pretentious confidence in one's resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world. So he gives us three areas in which our character is always, always going to be tested. The first area he indicates is this area of power. The test of what you will do with power that's granted to you. Will it become something that resorts to giving God the glory with your life or will it become something of pride for you? What happens if you do get the supervisor position at work? Will God be able to shine his light through you or will it be all about you? What happens if you do become this major CEO or this major educational conglomerate or this major pastor? What? Who receives the glory from this? And you say, well, of course I give God the glory with my very life. Well, God says, okay, on the level, the step that you're on right now with what you have, can I receive the glory from what I've already given you? A lot of people like to say, Lord, I'll bless you when I get this big and wonderful car. Well, God says, I gave you a car right now. Do you take care of that car? Do you treat it as something that honors me by keeping it clean, by doing the things that need to be done with what the resources that I've already put in your hands? You want a bigger house? Can you take care of the house you have right now? With great power, as, as they said in, in the Marvel Studios, comes great responsibility. I never thought I'd be quoting Spider-Man in a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very true. That's the reason why that's landed and lasted so long, because there's an area of truth to that, that God looks at us and says, OK, who's going to receive the glory if you are given that area of power and that area of power? Is it going to reflect me or is it going to reflect you? The next area of our character is tested is this area of money. What do you or will you do with money? What will you do with money? Can God trust you with a dime of a dollar now? Can God trust you to give what he tells you to give now? Can God tell you to instruct you where in regards to your money? Because the reality of the fact is most of us think wrong in regards to our money. When we give our 10% or our tithe and we give our offerings to the Lord, we don't realize and recognize that really 100% comes from him. And so he, if we are really in fellowship with him, has every right to say, I'm the one that gave you the power to get the wealth. And so I have the ability to direct you where your wealth is concerned, not just the 10, but in fact, all of it. 
So when I'm making an investment, when I'm putting my money in this place, where is God in my consideration? When I'm making an investment over here, did I ask God to bless it after I made the decision? Or do I say, God, all of it really belongs to you. And Lord, I submit this to you first. It sounds like I acknowledge you in all my ways and you will cause your wisdom to overshadow the limited insight that I have because I submitted it first to you. What will you do in regards to money? Again, will it be pride or watch this as the Amplified says, pretentious confidence in one's resources. One of the reasons why Jesus talks so much about or he talks in regards to it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven is because of the fact he has money. And in this natural world that we live in, money grants you the ability to do things that normal people or regular people cannot do. We've seen that in the court system, that a rich man in the court system operates a little bit different than a poor man in the court system. In the, in the poor man in the court system, man, they got to get all kind of, you know, the bail bondsmen to try to get out of jail. They got to get all these kind of things. But a rich man, he's able to put the, the money up when he makes a mistake or when he does wrong. He's able to go back home. He doesn't sit up in jail because it's a different system. And that's probably the problem that we're having in America is that we, in fact, do have two kinds of systems of judgment. The judgment for a rich person versus the judgment for a poor person is not equal. That's a side journey. We'll talk about that at another point in time. But money gives you the ability to do things that you would not otherwise be able to do if you did not have it. And God looks at our lives and he says, what will you do in regards to this area of money? Will you have your confidence in money? See, the thing is, God, what he begins to do is develop us on this individual level that we're on so that you have a constant leaning on him. So that when increase comes in your life, your leaning is still on him. That's why he says you can't serve two masters. And for the rich person, they have to make a decision. That, yeah, I still am going to submit to God's leadership over the money or the comforts that the money can give me. That person has the right perspective. A lot of times what begins to happen is that when a rich person begins leaning on their money, the Bible calls that particular person a wicked person. And the scripture goes on to say that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. What's that mean? God has a way of taking that money out of their hands of a person that won't do his assignment and placing it in the hands of a servant. The question is, am I in the step that I'm on? God's watching me in my steps. And he says, I see this person down here. They are a wicked person. They won't do anything that I tell them to do. If you stay where I tell you to go, what's going to happen is one day y'all going to switch places and you will become that rich person because of the fact I have seen that you are a faithful person and you can be trusted in this area of money. Third area that he indicates here is this area of access to sex, access to sex. What will you do if no one else sees? Central cravings of the flesh. Another area that is tested. So he tests us the three areas that the world comes to test our character or the enemy shows up to test our character is in the area of money. It's in the area of power, but it's also in the area of this access to sex. You know, today we have more access to sex than we've ever had before. You got to do a turn on TV. You see stuff that you didn't used to see. You got access right on your phone in ways that you didn't have before. What will you do with this access to sex? 
What do you do when no one sees you? This sense of craving, will you rebuke it or you, will you just welcome it into your house? Those three areas that test our character have everything to do with the purity of our heart. The purity of our heart has everything to do with our clarity of our hearing from God. Because as I indicated to you before, what God does is he deals with that area first. People oftentimes like to deal with those elephants in the room last and they talk all around it. But God doesn't operate this way. God says we got to deal with this. And when you deal with this area, now your clearing will be unclogged so that you can hear my directives. Well, a lot of times what the issue is when you have not dealt with that area, it sits again as the clog of your hearing and your confidence in regards to your faith with God. The purity of my heart has everything to do with the clarity of my hearing. Fix the issue of sin and then you'll fix the issue of hearing God's directives in your life. Let's keep going. So we've been talking about this area of the risk and reward, the risk and reward. And the connectivity of the risk and reward is that the risk and reward assessment requires that you have knowledge of where you really are. And having knowledge of where you really are means having knowledge of your current relationship with God. And so that's why we're spending so much time talking in regards to the purity of your heart because it's connected to you knowing God. Your knowing God has everything to do with the area of your conviction. Well, I can't receive from God. I can't believe God is leading me in a certain direction when this area of my heart is out of line. And so we've indicated to you there are different sources of our convictions. And because we should know this. Different sources of our conviction when we believe that God is leading us in a certain direction and we will assessing this risk and reward and trying to assess where we are in regards to our faith. We got to start looking at where am I getting my convictions? Where am I drawing my conclusions? Let's look over, if you will, back to Romans chapter 12 in verse number two out of the Amplified. Romans chapter 12 and verse number two. Where do I get or where do my convictions, my belief systems come from? Some sources of our belief system are number one from our environment or our culture. It is a word called inculturation. Inculturation. Where do my convictions come from? We looked at this first element, this first slice, this first piece as looking at the purity of my heart. If I'm allowing sin into my life, it disconnects me from how I hear from God. The next area we got to look at in regards to where my convictions come from is how much of the world system has been impacting the area of my heart. The first area we say as a source of belief is this area of our environment. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, uh, the Amplify and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. He says, but be transformed and progressively changed. Watch the word as you mature spiritually. So he says, do not be like the world. The day you get born again, God called you out of the world system into his kingdom. And he says, I want to have so much influence on your life that it begins to grow you spiritually so you look more like me. Well, how does that happen? That I'm no longer conformed to the superficial values. Superficial, that means surface level values. 
the fake stuff, the stuff that does it doesn't penetrate the deep. Another thing that we like to see in the world, we see in the world a lot of times, people love to put on for size. They love to show the best size, but it doesn't deal with the area of who and what you really are. God says, in my kingdom, I deal with the inside first. And dealing with the inside first, it begins to work its way on the outside. He says, but the choice as to whether or not you're going to submit to be transformed from the world system into the kingdom system is up to you. But he says, but be transformed by progressively changed as you spiritually mature. How am I be, to be progressively changed as I spiritually mature? He says, by the renewing of your mind. How am I to be progressively changed? How am I supposed to grow in maturity? How am I supposed to be transformed from the world system into the kingdom system? He says, by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. So focusing on godly attitudes, the commands of God, by changing your value system. From doing things the world's way, which is superficial, to doing things God's way, which has everything to do with your heart. He says, and on focusing on ethical attitudes, which means what? What I do, that I change my attitude about what I do. Even my job that I might be in right now that I don't like, I do my job as unto the Lord. You might have thought you hired me for the job, but the reality is I'm just a deployed saint in this position right now. And so when I show up on time, when I do my job in excellence, you think it's about you. But when there's reality, it's about my unseen partner in which I want to please. It's about my heavenly father that sees me out here doing this job that nobody sees me doing, doing it in excellence. And I say, God, I do this for you. He says, by the renewing of the mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, watch this, so that you may prove. So my mind being renewed is for me, not God. The verse prior to that says that we are to bring our body and, and, and put it as a sacrifice, holy, and it's holy to God, which means I bring my body to God. A part of my body is my mind. I give it to God so that he can change it. He says, so that you, so that you may prove for yourself. I'm not doing this just simply for God, but I'm doing this because it's good for me. He says, so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect, his plan and purpose for you. The renewal of your mind benefits you. And until you realize that, then we still got to work on this area. A lot of people thinking, thinking that keeping the commandments of God have everything to do with God. And it does within his, within uh within certain reason, within certain perspectives, if, if you want to say it like that. But the renewal of your mind has everything to do with you aligning back to what God has originally created you to be. It benefits you. Doing things God's way benefits you. When you decide to do things your own way, you think that you're doing your own thing when the reality is you're using the devil's tools and you're going to be paid out by the devil. It is hurting you ultimately in the long run. When you do things God's way, when you operate in God's system, God says, even though, yes, it's honoring me, you are going to 
actually benefit. It's going to be rewarding to you if you stick with it long enough to see the fact that it's going to actually prove to you that you've really changed. It's going to prove to you that you're really submitted. It's going to prove to you that now you're in a position in which God can use and bless your life. Let's keep going. Second area of conviction or source of belief is events and the conclusions you have drawn. Events and the conclusions you have drawn. It is personal experience. This is probably where we're going to uh, conclude this morning. We'll pick the rest up in the midweek. Let's look over at Mark chapter 4 and verse number 14. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 14. Now the King James Version of the Bible. Another source of our convictions. The first source, and said again, is this area of environment. Well, how do I overcome this area of environment so that my convictions change? It is by the renewing of my mind. When I get my mind renewed, I grow spiritually. When I grow spiritually, now I begin to take on the kingdom's convictions, kingdom's perspective, instead of my own or the environment that I grew up in. Let me take one side journey here before we get into Mark chapter 4. This is something I continuously say to my people of color. That when you begin to take a kingdom mindset, my limitations fade away. That the world system might say you are a black man, you are a black woman, and you are going to stay in your place. And they might even use the term boy or girl. But in the kingdom system, God says you are my child. And the greater one lives on the inside of you and you are limitless when you take on my perspective. And then when you take on my perspectives, my dictates and my assignment, that's when no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Because now I'm not limited based on my color or what you see. You don't see the big God that's walking with me that's deployed me in this, in this area. So regardless of the skin color that I walk in, you better watch out because I'm going to prosper. Amen. Now, Mark chapter 4. Another source of our conclusions. Events. And the conclusions, I'm sorry, conviction, events and the conclusion that we gather from personal experience. Now watch this. Mark chapter 4 says, Jesus speaking about the sower, so of the word. We're not going to read the part where he actually talks about that per se. We're going to look at his explanation of this parable that he gives us in the latter part of this passage of scripture. He says, verse number 15, and these are they which are by the wayside where, uh, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So he says again, he gives the analogy of the word being likened to someone that's sowing seed in a field. They cast it out the seed here and there. This seed falls everywhere. It falls on this ground. It falls on that ground. It falls in the rocks because the person is indiscriminately just tossing the seed out. And so he explains the fact that the sower, the person that's tossing the seed out in the individual places, is likened to the person that's sowing the word. Right now, I am in the position where I'm being used of God to sow the word. It's being sown both in the house and it's going to be sown when it goes out on recording. We're sowing the word. I don't know where the stuff goes. It goes here. It goes there. We post where God tells us to post. One of the reasons why we stay online is because prior to the pandemic, God told us to be online. So that when the pandemic came, we were already ready to do the things that we needed to do because we were already up there. 
And that's the reason why we continue to stay up there because God said, just sow the word. Doesn't matter where it goes because I'm responsible for where it goes. You just continue to sow the word. So that's what's going on. He said, sow the word. He says, and these are they by the wayside because they hear the word, but Satan cometh immediately to take away the words that's sown in their hearts. So the word is sown. You hear something that has the capacity to renew the way you think, has the capacity to change your perspective. But because of the fact it's just sown and you don't have any 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 depth in it yet or anything, Satan comes immediately to try to take that word from you. You might hear a word about forgiveness or operating in love. I guarantee you what's going to happen is Satan begins to show up immediately to challenge you in regards to that word that you heard about love. He tells you, love thy neighbor. Well, next thing you know, you go home, your neighbor is having a fit or you having a problem. Or you go to work and they're having a problem. Satan comes immediately to take that word from you. You might hear a word about compassion and next thing you won't know, why is it me and my wife all of a sudden have having this fit of rage or this fight or everything of this nature that's taking place in my house? It's because Satan comes immediately to try to take that word that you've heard so it does not get in on the ground of your heart. Verse number 16. And these are they, he say, likewise, which are sown on stony ground. So we're talking in terms of a hard ground. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So these are folks, man, you know, you have been to a service, man, people receive the word and it's like, whoo, glory to God, that's good stuff. Yeah, you know, they're real boisterous and loud. He says they receive with gladness. I receive the word and say, yeah, that's right, reverend. Praise the Lord. That's the word of God. But he says, verse number 17, but have no root, watch the word, in themselves. And so endure, but for a time. This is one of the things that separates those that hear the word and receive it with gladness, but they don't produce from the word because they have not spent enough time with that word, so it begins to take root in themselves. So it transfers from being a word that I heard to a word that I know as a point of conviction for me. He says they have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time. But he says, watch this, afterwards, when afflictions or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately watch the word, they are offended. Afflictions, persecutions show up immediately. But it's showing up and you think, wow, what's going on? Particularly when I begin to understand the word of God. Satan says, I got to show up and with persecutions and afflictions immediately. Because that word, if it produces, is going to be a problem for me. So what's going to happen is I show up to show up to show up that I'll show up with an offense that moves you away from your belief system. I show up so that you say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm taking this word. I'm believing you in this area of this word. Or let me give you a practical example. I start tithing for the first time in my life and I start giving to the Lord. Well, I guarantee you, afflictions come up. Well, all of a sudden this new bill shows up. This new situation shows up. And I got I have a choice between whether I'm going to tithe or not. And then when I say, okay, well, I'm not going to start tithing. I'm not going to do this anymore. And when I stop doing this, then I don't endure except for a short time. And I don't see the harvest in my life. And what begins to happen is if you're not careful, you move into this area of offense. And you start saying, well, Lord, say I tried it and it didn't work. And God said, no, it tried you and you found out that you wouldn't be faithful to it. Verse number 18, he says, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, 
hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. Watch the word entering in choke the word. So he says that you got another group of people. They hear the word. This word has been sown. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, this deceitfulness of riches and other lusts entering in. So my heart condition begins to change because of the fact the cares of the world, the issues that I have out here begin speaking louder to me and begin to move my concentration off of what God said. We saw this on Thursday night with Peter, where Peter's walking on the water. He's walking on the impossible and he's letting the outside circumstances move him away from his stance on his walk on that one word that Jesus said, which was come. Cares of life show up. As my sister says all the time, distractions show up. I hear a word from God. I start concentrating on what God says. I start walking on what God says. And all of a sudden, these distractions begin to move me so that my cares, my concerns are about that stuff more than God's things. And then he says, but the deceitfulness of riches. Or I make a decision. Let me say it like this, because I've seen this in the life of this church. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to start getting in the word. I'm going to start doing these things. And all of a sudden, I get a promotion. I say, well, the Lord gave me this promotion. He also gave you this choice as to whether or not you're going to honor him with your time or not. The deceitfulness of riches is what riches can promise you over what God promises you. And he says, and the lust of other things, the other stuff entering in choke. What does the word choke mean? It means to drown. It comes from a Greek word which literally means to strangle. Well, Webster Basic Dictionary describes it and defines it this way. He says, to hinder the growth, development, or the activity of. So he says, in the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, the lie that riches can meet your needs more than God, he says, in the lust for other things enter in, it hinders the growth, the development, and the activity of that word in your heart, i.e., it stops it from producing. And he says, and it becomes unfruitful. You know, that's one of the enemy's greatest tasks is to make a Christian an unfruitful Christian. Yeah, when you die, you'll go to heaven. But you were no good here on the earth. You didn't do anything for the kingdom of God. You didn't do anything that made a difference for God on this side of heaven. Oftentimes, I'll say it like this. You know, some people, when they die, I can almost instead of God saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant, he say, well... Well, just come on in. Come on in and sit down somewhere. I got me a, I got a servant that's coming up behind you, but you just, well, just come on in. You know, just praise God. Verse number 20, watch this. He says, and these are they which are sown on, notice the term, good ground, such as hear the word. So praise God. All of them heard it. But he says, and receive it. What does it mean to receive it? Now, right now, this afternoon, there are going to be a many football games gathered. Now, with a receiver, y'all you know I don't play for sports now, but I understand the basic concept. A receiver goes out there, they see that ball coming, and they start making moves, and they run towards that ball, and they put their hands up to receive that ball. Now, it's only until they get that ball in their hands, in their possession, that they're able to bring it to its goal. Otherwise, it's a fumble. Otherwise, they go, if it goes through their hand, they have to receive it. 
So he says, such as hear the word, you hear, you see it coming, but you receive it. That means I take it into my own possession as my own, which means it becomes a point of conviction for me. I'm going to stick with this. And he says, watch this, and receive it and bring forth fruit, which means allow it to reach its maturity. He says some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So he says good heart or a good heart condition is a person that hears but not hears only, but a person that receives and brings it to its goal or brings it to its fruitful possession. Well, how do I begin to bring this word that I hear from God to its fruitful possession? It allows me, the first thing I got to do is make sure I guard my heart or I keep it, which means I don't allow it to be contaminated with areas of sin. The next thing that I have to do is I have to allow this thing or this word from God to become a point of personal conviction for me, which means I separate the way the world has taught me to receive and embrace the kingdom's way. And then also it means that I have to disregard my own personal experiences and the things that I've experienced in the past or my memories to receive the embrace of what God is showing me today from his word. So that way I can become the person that God has directed and is encouraging me to be, which is who I was originally created to be from the very beginning. I think this is a good place to start. We'll pick up here on Thursday. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we honor you and we bless you for this word on this morning. Lord, as an act of our will, Lord, we just decide to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We decide as an act of our will, Lord, that we're going to not just receive this word, but Lord, we're going to endure in your word to bring it to the point of fruitfulness in our lives. Lord, we choose to abide in you and abide in your word to fulfill our purpose, God, to minister light and darkness, God, to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we won't be folks that just get excited at a one-time event and don't carry this thing into a lifestyle. But we choose to walk in life faithfully and obedient to your directives. And so, Lord, we take this opportunity even now to repent of preconceived notions and ideas hell thought processes in our lives that you've been convicting us in regards to. We lay that down now in the name of Jesus at your altar. We repent, which means we change our thinking in regards to that. We open ourselves, Lord, to your way of doing and operating in this thing called life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone to say amen. It's giving time. Let's look really quick at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. <clears throat> Scripture says out of the King James Version of the Bible. But this I say, 
He that soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So he indicates to us that my harvest is within my control. He says, if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. I, if you put seed in the ground, you can expect a harvest. If you don't, you can expect not to get anything. So my harvest is completed within my control. Not God. God is the one that does the work when you do the sowing. But the sowing part, that's within your purview, within your control to be able to do so. Verse number seven, he says, Every man, according as he, notice the term, purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God love of a cheerful giver. So he says again, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. The key word here is he. And he says, every man, according as, he uses the term again, he has purpose in his heart. So let him give. And in any case, let me qualify how you to give. He says, not grudgingly. Not grudgingly. A lot of people grudgingly give in church. They feel like they've been manipulated to give. And so they give and they say, well, here, take this $5 and shut it up, Reverend. God said, that's not how you to give. Or I've heard people even say things like, you know, I gave in church and I watched that bucket go all the way down. That's grudging giving. God said, that's not how you give. He says, no out of necessity. So I don't give because I believe that I'm going to be cursed. I don't give because I'm afraid of God. Not out of necessity. I'm not giving for this purpose because I'm under the new covenant, which means I, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. So my giving is not because I'm not looking to be cursed. He says the qualifier is because if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. So I don't give because of the curse. Now I give because I want to reap bountifully and not sparingly. He says, not grudgingly. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, what is a cheerful giver? Somebody whose heart is in their gift. And we understand this in a natural sense. Like I said, if, if you receive a gift from somebody and they don't really want to give it to you, you know, I almost don't want to receive that gift. You, you, you all funky about it. Well, look here, you know, you take this money. You say, like, wait a minute now, wait now, you, you know. And some of us say, well, we're just going to give it here. You'll be all right. <laughs> but God said, no, I look at the condition of your heart. Do you really want to give this? Are you giving this as a way of honoring me? Not because you've been manipulated, not because of any other reason other than the fact that you want to honor me. And you know that I am the source of the bountiful increase in your life. So my giving should proceed from my heart's, watch the word, conviction. That's the reason why a lot of people don't receive a harvest in their life, because it's not a cheerful gift. It's a grudging gift, or it's a gift out of necessity, which means it's not a gift given in and with faith. God responds to your faith. When I sow seed, when I give my tithe, I sow it in faith. When we as a church family believe God for certain things, we're believing God for certain things in the front, believing God for certain things on the outside of the church, believing God for certain areas of, of outreach and certain things and that he's going to do in the life of this ministry. So we sow seeds. We give to other ministries. We give to other organizations, believing that we are honoring our Heavenly Father. She says... My giving should proceed from my heart's conviction, which should be a grateful and a cheerful heart. Verse number eight, he says, 
because of the fact I have sown, which means I'm connected to the potential of harvest. Because I sow from a giving or a grateful or a cheerful heart, he says, verse number eight, God is able. Because I got the qualifiers right, I'm doing something. Faith is doing something in regards to your conviction. It's not just having the conviction and not doing anything. Faith without works is dead. So he says, I'm doing something. I'm sowing the seed. I'm giving it cheerfully. He says, because you've done this, verse number eight, God is able. My response to doing the correct things employs God to be able in my life. He says, God is able, he says, able to do what? Make all grace. Another translation says, all earthly favors. He says, abound, and he doesn't just say just abound, but he says, torch you. When I sow my seed and I give it with a cheerful heart, God says, I'm now able to make every favor abound towards you. He says that ye having all sufficiently, sufficiency, which means what I am abundantly supplied for all things may abound to every good work. So every area of my deployed in the kingdom of God, God says when I give from the perspective of my heart, God, I want to honor you with my seed. He says I'm able now in your life to make my favor abound towards you. My giving in my heart allows God, the, allows God or spiritual law to be made manifest within my life. You say, well, well I, I've been given, Reverend, I've been given, I ain't seen nothing yet. God says, yeah, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Because I haven't forgotten one seed that you've sown and the harvest is on its way if you stay in this area of faithfulness and you stay in this area of keeping a cheerful heart. Everything again goes back to this area of the purity of my heart. I want to keep my heart before God. You're the reason why I have the wealth. You're the reason why you gave me the power to get this wealth. You are the source of everything that I do. And so honoring you with my seed has everything to do with just being in the position so that you can use me and you will supply every good work that you've assigned me to. Three ways that you can give to the training center. One is by way of the P.O. Box number. Second way is by way of our cash app. Third way is by way of our website. And of course we can show locally and live in the house. Whatever way that you have sown into this ministry, we thank God for your obedience to sow into the life of the training center. Currently, the uh, seeds go towards, as I indicated to you in the past, towards the renovation of this building. They go to our monthly bill in regards to streaming and our internet. They go to our advertisement. There is a lot of advertisement and material that we will be purchasing soon in regards to letting people know about the fact that we are here in this Location, And then they also go to our outreaches uh, to bless our community. Christmas is coming and we want to avail ourselves to be able to be a blessing to the community where Christmas and Thanksgiving is concerned. So all of your seed goes into those areas and we just thank God for whatever seed that you've sown into this ministry. So let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, I set myself in agreement with every sower into this ministry. that you are able to make grace abound towards them. I declare in the name of Jesus that your favor rests on every seed sown into this ministry. Every family attached to the seed. 
that you'll open up ways that they couldn't open themselves. That you'll give them favor with men, that they'll like them in ways that they didn't even know. Why, why this person likes me? Because they walk in the favor of God. I declare a bountiful harvest over their lives because of their obedience and their ability and their heart's conviction to stay in this area of faith. And we give you praise for it even now. In Jesus' name. Amen.